Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby. Something I always ask myself, and I'm sure you ask yourself this too, as maintenance and reliability professionals, is how did something fail? To answer that question, we need to look a little bit deeper, or maybe a little more simplistic sometimes, uh, and think about how did this specific part fail? And understanding what a part looks like and what story it can tell us is so important to understanding the overall history and piece of the failure and ultimately coming to a proper resolution from it. So today we're discussing just that. I'm discussing with Shane Turcott from Steel Image and Sonia Mathura from Strategic Reliability Solutions. And we dive into this course. Shane is an absolute expert. We, we actually were able to take a course with him recently, and we talk a lot about this course because it was full of such great content, and I really want to make sure this expertise is brought to you, our listener base, because it is so wholly important in what we do. So thank you for listening to the show, and thank you for always going on this journey of learning with me. And before we dive in, a quick message from our sponsor, Electra Learning. Hello, listeners. I am really excited to introduce you to one of our sponsors, Electra Learning, and we've got Neil Summers here to tell us a little bit about it. So, Neil, tell me, what is Electra Learning? Hey, Stephen. Well, Electra partners with organizations to encourage supported change and business improvement through learning development. In short, we ensure that you get the best out of your team through sustainable training practices. We have extensive experience with major oil and gas, utility, mining, and manufacturing clients. And as a result, come to our clients with a clear understanding of the best way to ensure new systems are used most effectively. In particular, we specialize in the IBM asset management software Maximo and also in Microsoft 365. That's great, Neil. Now I can hear from your accent, you're not from my locale. Why don't you tell me a little bit about where you come from and uh, what got you here today? Well, Electra has been in the UK for 24 years, so we're a well-established business there. I came to Canada in 2013 to set up our first North American office. My background in project management set me up really well to be able to identify a gap in the market, providing something that wasn't being done before. That's fantastic, Neil. Why don't you tell me a little about what has made you and Electra so successful and allowed you to expand so broadly? Well, training is people-based. The ability to make that connection between people and the software tool has been the key to our success. Our practical toolkit with comprehensive materials and templates and a variety of learning options, such as live classroom training, web-based virtual training, one-to-one coaching, e-learning, as well as other services such as project and change management can all be applied and tailored to meet our client requirements. You can find out more about our service offerings by checking out our website, electrolearning.com. That's great, Neil, and thank you for supporting our podcast. All our listeners out there, make sure you go and check out Electra's website and see what they have to offer. Two guests with me. I've got Sonia Mathura and Shane Turcott. Welcome to the. And so, Sonia, I think this is the second week in a row that you're you're on the episode. You're becoming. Um, I think somebody made a comment in this week's stuff that you're becoming a a maintenance influencer <laughs> or or a maintenance celebrity. So I think you're I you've already that. been there in my books. I, Sonia, I, I thought you were trying to take that. Steve's job. You know, if you show up Ooh. enough on this, maybe after a while, people are like, "Hey, do we need Steve?" Oh boy, hey. you know, we just got the <laughs> names out, right? <laughs> we could be so lucky. <laughs> and Shane, this is, I think, probably the time you've been on our show. This is, uh, we've we chatted you before about uh, around this topic. So, um, yeah. before we get started um, in our topic today, which is how uh, parts fail, why don't, why don't we get a quick introduction from you? So, uh, Shane, why don't you go first and introduce yourself a little bit? Okay, so um, so I'm Shane Turcott. I, I, I'm a metallurgical engineer, not reliability. 
I, but I, I started a company called Steel Image about 12 years ago that supports a lot of reliability efforts. We do, we do um, lab-based analysis to understand how parts failed and provide as much information as possible from parts. Failure analysis is a core part of that of our business. Um, but I, I guess I could also say now that I, I wrote the book on it. I, I wrote a book called Decoding Mechanical Failures that introduces people themselves for all engineers, how to examine failed parts, mechanical, ductile, brittle, fatigue, uh, and then how, how, that, how to use that diagnosis to direct the remainder of the investigation. Uh, for a couple of years now, we've been giving in-person courses, uh, but I'm also excited that just recently we, we gave our very first um, online course and, and the two of you guys took it. And hopefully hopefully you guys say some something not too terrible about the course that you guys might have enjoyed it and learned a few things from it. I thought I personally thought it was a fantastic course. I come from a metallurgical background as well uh, before I got into reliability. And it was... Uh, I wish we had material available to us while we're in university. If we we're thrown to the wall hard and to do a failure analysis on it, and you're you're kind of you're scrounging through 15 different textbooks to try and find a good answer, and and if we had, it would have been pretty easy, we just open it up. Okay, this page. All right, we found our answer. Like uh, it, it's a fantastic resource. Definitely recommend your book to to anybody in the maintenance and reliability space. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And I think one of my biggest things with going into the course is going into the course knowing that, uh, understand that failures, I want to say failures are important to understand. Let me put important to understand and then put mechanical failures in front of that. So, you know, we, we, you know, have that clear. And understanding that really helps us when we're deciding what happens next when we do an RCA, because Every time something fails, the first thing that people blame is the lubricants. Like, yes, it's the oil. It's totally the oil. But, you know, we also need to figure out when the lubricant fails, it's because it's failing because of the conditions. And I think that's one of the things that I understood with Shane's course is that it's the same for metals. The metals don't just fail because they want to, you know. It's because of design. It's because of, you know, operating factors, environmental factors. There are so many different things that can cause it to fail. And I love that chain within one day allowed me to know the difference between ductile, brittle, fatigue, everything. So like, like I was telling him before, um, I'm looking for failures and you know, anything that's <laughs> been damaged. I haven't found anything, which is good, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to test out my knowledge, you know, make sure I have the right thing. <laughs> Yeah, and so Sonia, why don't you give us, before we, we dive too deep into the topic, why don't you give us a quick overview of yourself? I know everybody, all the listeners well, have heard you quite a bit, late, <laughs> quite a bit lately, but uh, let's give them another update. So I am Sonia Matura. I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, and I'm the owner of Strategic Reliability Solutions Limited. What we focus on is really adding value to the industry and bringing reliability topics to the mainstream and not just in a coded way, because I've realized every time I'm trying to find out information, you have to go to a guy who knows a guy who knows an SME. So I wanted to bring all of the SMEs in one place, you know, because guess what? These guys know what they're talking about. You know, they've been in the field. They've seen failures. They've seen different ways certain things operate. So we have global affiliates. Um, we have some, some in Canada. It should be a conscious reliability. We have some in the US, Reliability Center Incorporated, East Partnership, uh, Fifth Order Industry. We have Australia, which is Eric. And combined, they all form different parts of reliability. Of course, I handle parts of the lubrication aspect, but we have Bob, he handles RCA. We have Jesus, he does RCMR. And Eric, who does... Uh, maintenance planning and scheduling because when you think about it reliability has so many different aspects it's not just one thing and i love i loved shane course like <laughs> totally loved it the the book i love the fact that we could have gone into the workbook it wasn't just screen time it was screen time with examples and that's one of the ways that people learn you know, they don't just learn by listening to a video or 
reading a book, actually going into the examples and forcing yourself to think at that moment, okay, well, how can it be this? Or, you know, the different factors that definitely helps to, you know, make sure you didn't fall asleep and to make sure your brain was engaged, <laughs> you know? Because I know that's one of the aspects of a lot of people, they are like, oh my gosh, it's a, it's a you know, a virtual thing, they're gonna fall asleep, no. I definitely didn't have the time to do that because I was just like, I, I wanna get this one right, you know? Let me make sure I get, you know, determine which of the factors it was, where did the origin point start from? So it was, it was well-timed, great breaks, you know, in between. I loved it. So, you know, it was, it was a Friday well spent. <laughs> that amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah it, total, it, sorry, go ahead, Shane. Oh, I was just going to say just to, so there's actually two aspects. That, so there's, um, you know, we, we have the book, we send the book, mm -hmm. but, but the course is built around a, uh, a course book, like a workbook. Mm -hmm. And and you know I'll, I'll you know I'll I'll teach you how to exa examine like fatigue, how to examine duct, how to be brittle, but once you get the basics, base it's now your turn. And so there are mm -hmm. dozens and dozens and dozens of fractures in this course book that you've got to work on yourself. And I think any good training to anything, it, it yeah. you start <laughs> off with very simple, and then you keep adding. And mm -hmm. I've also designed it so that some of that some of them are you know to introduce new concepts that. You know, once you get the basics, it starts introducing new concepts uh, mm -hmm. along the way. So I, I mean, I think that it's, you know, when I when I took when I took this on, I was I was trying very hard to say how do I make uh, an online course that you know uh, interesting and engaging, and mm -hmm. people don't get tired of listening to me droning on. <laughs> uh, and I'm really I'm really excited to hear that you know your guys' reviews and that you guys thought it worked really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the work the the workbook was, uh, that's probably the workbook I've gotten from any course. Uh, I've, spent, I, I've spent a lot of money on a lot of courses over my life and none of them have had a workbook that was that high quality um, and I was sad to write in it to be honest with you but it was it was it was really good and like the the only only thing you need and I wish I had more was just a lot of different colored sharpies just so you can like uh, color code what you're, you're yeah. marking a little so I've tried my very best to like, we don't ever reference material types. It is just go in and with, you know, with, with almost zero background, um, yeah. you'd walk in. Now I think most people taking it are going to have a little bit of reliability background, mechanical, mm -hmm. you know, or mechanical, or just be like, you know, hands-on experience. So yeah, I, 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 th I think that there's, you know, uh, there'll be no, no troubles for anyone listening to this podcast, uh, <laughs> taking, taking a course like that. Well, it's, it's, we're a different breed, those who listen to this, I think. So uh, <laughs> Uh, so before we jump into the talk, let's talk about the importance of understanding how something fails. Um, so, you know, we, we, always, we always have that question of how or why does something fail and what impact that has. And what we don't really understand well is the importance of how it failed metallurgically or, uh, you know, what those fracture mechanics actually so when we, whenever we have a failure and when I get the call and they're like, oh my God, equipment is down. Of course it's the oil. Cause you know, that's the first thing they blame no matter what. They say the oil is the issue, but they're always anxious to get it back up and running. And that's one of the things that we see within the industry because every minute that a piece of equipment is down, you're losing money, right? Basically. So obviously we don't want any kind of unexpected downtime, but being able to understand why something failed helps you to diagnose why can it fail in the future or how you can prevent future downtime. Because I've had people, and this is just from an oil perspective, the first thing they do, I'm gonna swap out the oil, I didn't do a root cause analysis on it, swap all the oil because I can't afford for this downtime. They do that and then they have oxidation, oil sludge building back up in their oil because guess what? They didn't decide, they didn't understand why the oil failed in the first place. But the oil was getting all of the symptoms. It was telling you it's going to fail, right? But we didn't listen to it. And the same thing with when you start talking about fractures you know, you start seeing, some of them you may start seeing the, the telltale signs, but if you already had a failure and you had a failure with a bolt and you realize that the bolt failed and you can determine how and why that failed, 
then you can prevent that from happening in the future. And what that helps you to do is to make your entire process more reliable. And if you just swap out a physical component for another physical component, you haven't changed the environment, you haven't changed the, the only thing you've changed is the actual physical uh, bolt or the part that has failed. And the conditions that would have led to the failure, that may not have changed. So you're gonna experience that failure again in the future. So if you didn't find out what it was before, you didn't take the time and the efforts to you know, really decide, okay, well, this is where we're having the issue. Can we change that? Can we correct that? Then you're gonna have the failure in the future again. So it's very, very important to do that. Absolutely, and what is always in mind is that we will spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to uh -huh. fix failures and equipment running again. We won't properly invest in getting a proper failure analysis done, getting yes. training, the training like Shane, Shane provides, uh -huh. educates your team on how to determine how things actually fail. And, you know, in, in do the proper failure analysis, you're just rolling the dice for the next mm -hmm. one. Like, if they didn't get it in their investigation, even if, if you even did an investigation, yeah. um, then you're just gonna see, see the same issue again. And I think that's just going to lower the confidence as well in, in programs mm -hmm. because you sent somebody that didn't have the proper understanding to investigate the failure. And, and anyway, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, first, that's the first most thing for any failure investigation. And uh, I think Shane, you say it all the time. Bob says it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and Tanya, you as well, it's save the part. Mm -hmm. And so now that's that we've right. saved the part, what, what are they going to tell us, Shane? So I think that I kind of like the Sonia to kind of pick up where you, where, where you left off there. I think that there's this great desire, this great rush to understand why something failed. And if, if, if a team is not interested in understanding why it failed, then I, I don't know if we can really help them. But for, for the rest of the people, though, I think when they say, hey, we want to know why it failed, whatever te technique or mechanism they're using, like the five whys, fishbone, whatever that might be. Before someone can say, why did it fail? They've got to, first of all, answer, how did it fail? And I'm hoping not, not to hijack your, your talk here, uh, Steve, but I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, as we discuss the different failure mechanisms, people will say, hey, like, if I have a fatigue failure, you know, what causes fatigue failure is going to be very, very, very different than what causes brittle, yes. than what causes ductile, than what causes some of the corrosion mechanisms like hydrogen damage, uh, stress corrosion mm -hmm. cracking. We were to have wear issues if we were to have high, you know if there was higher temperature and there's some other damage mechanisms there is that to ask why something failed you have to first of all ask ask how how it failed um, a very simple analogy would be if you ask a doctor hey doctor why am i sick mm. well it's gonna it's gonna really depend upon what sickness you have like are, are you yeah. you know they have to diagnose how you're like what you have you know is it is it mm -hmm. maybe this is a morbid train of thought but if, if it's <laughs> if it's cancer if it's if it if it's a pregnancy related thing, if it's heat stroke, it was just hot that day and you're outside. Relevant today's problems out west. Mm -hmm. If it's if it's um if 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 it's something that's you know inherited, um, all these things are going to be very different. And until you until the doctor knows what illness you have, they're not going to be able to answer how you got sick, mm -hmm. or sorry why you got sick. Why you got sick would be very different. Um, or even steps forward, you know. And so. And so, yeah, so any investigation, as much as people want to get to why it failed, they've got to, first of all, answer how, how it failed. Mm -hmm. And the only way to know how it failed is to actually look at the broken part itself. So you've got to be able to, to, to get as much information as you can from that broken part. Uh, and that, that, that's going to either be sending to a lab like us that are going to use all the tools and techniques possible to assess you know, how and why that part failed. But I also think that there's the option uh, of, of people, frontline workers, developing skills so they themselves can begin triaging and looking at parts and assessing uh, whether or not they can they can solve it internally that they they can see everything they need to recognize how it failed uh, or or if they say hey I don't recognize everything I see here say at the crack initiation site or it just looks completely different I made to fully understand what happened set, send this out and have it have it analyzed but I, I mean I, I if it's okay I'd focus on I focus on the skills that people can learn at least today's talk that people can learn themselves <laughs> without that much training without a, you know with like through courses and books 
um, what they can bring into their team to help diagnose how something failed. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's, that's perfect shame. And you set the stage exactly. Like, I love that analogy. But in the end, as long as we agree that, yeah, that you've got to figure out how it failed. Um, And then, and then in there, I mean, there are going to be some things that might require lab analysis. Like, you know, if it, if it's corrosion, you're going to have to analyze the corrosion, you know, the corrosion product that forms to see if what, you know, what, what causes it to form. But, but of all the failure modes, mechanical failures are, are very common in many industries. And those are the ones that you can, you can look at the fracture yourself with no specialized equipment and get the most amount of information from, and oftentimes start, start getting useful, very useful information that's going to help direct your ongoing investigation. And I, I think as today's talk was on, people are going to see that, you know, first step is going to be say, hey, what was the failure mechanism? What caused it to start? And then you're going to say, now that I know that what it is, it's going to start leading the sequence of questions that are going to start the, you know, getting towards the why. It's, the, you know, you're still going to have to do your, your full RCA um, classic investigation. But, um, you know, at some point you'll be like, hey, I recognize that it started by fatigue cracking, for example. And then the next question could be, oh, well, where did the crack start from? And then you're going to, okay, well, I again will look at the crack surface and I will follow it back to where it starts from. And then I'm going to start putting together this useful information that give you the details of how it failed. And then those details will start leading in and lead the conversation that you have with your team as to why it failed. Why don't we dive in? So the first one I have on my list and uh, one of the ones that took, I think, most of the time in the course there is fatigue failure. So why don't you describe to us what fatigue is and, and how we diagnose it? So fatigue is, um, I think, is what keeps a lot of people up at night. It, it, it definitely is a very common failure mode, um, and depending on the industry. So, so metal, steel in particular, they have a threshold, what we call the fatigue limit, that if you, if you load it above that fatigue limit, it will at some point form a crack. That crack will grow through the cross-sectional area and eventually lead to failure. Um, now, most things that we design uh, it, it for, for cyclic loading, we design so it, it's actually below the fatigue limit. So as long as you stay below that fatigue limit, that part will never fail. So a shaft, for example, can experience billions and billions of loading cycles. But as long as it stays below that fatigue limit, it'll, it'll never fail. And so when, when we look at something and we diagnose it as, as a fatigue failure, it means that uh, we've actually exceeded the design limit of the part. And we've gone into that fatigue limit. How how we diagnose um, fatigue is is by examining the part. We 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 clean the fracture surface. We examine it. Uh, it it displays some distinct features of the of the failure modes of the of the mechanical failure modes. It tends to create the smoothest fracture at the initiation area if the loading is just above the fatigue limit. If uh, it'll have a, a specific initiation site. Sometimes it might have multiple initiations, and if that's the case, it'll form what we call ratchet marks. If there's variance in the loading, um, as, as a crack grows, it'll, it'll form what's called crack arrest marks, sometimes called beach marks. And then at some point, you'll have a final failure area, the last area to break apart. Uh, it's, it's often ductile, but it could also be brittle. Uh, and that, 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 that altogether is how we diagnose something as being fatigued. To, to maybe just continue that, you know, the diagnosis is the first part, but once we diagnose something as fatigue, the next couple of questions you're going to have is, okay, once I diagnose this fatigue, what causes fatigue? Uh, and what causes fatigue is very simple. It means that your part that was never meant to be loaded above its fatigue limit, what was just that, it was loaded above the fatigue limit. And so we can break that down into three categories. Category number one, what was the cyclic loading, the repeated loading that caused it? Was that loading higher than it should have been? Number two, was there an unexpected stress concentrator that under that cyclic loading that might have concentrated the local stresses higher than it should have been? Is there a notch, a flaw, uh, a weld flaw? Um, and then lastly, the, the last question is going to be, was the, was the material as strong as it should have been? Was it the, the loading was too high or was the material too weak that, that, caused, it, that caused it to fail? And, and I think that once you, once you understand that it is fatigue, and then these are your three variables. Your questions are going to naturally begin. Okay, well, what was that loading? Do we see anything? Do we see anything that would have caused a stress concentration effect? And do we suspect the material is is weaker than it should have been? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I had the perfect and prime example of a fatigue failure, and it was just so so clear cut uh, in the end once we we looked at the lab analysis from it. And um, and Shane, I know what you're going to say uh, on the joke. <laughs> you don't remember this failure coming through your lab. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you you somebody else. <laughs> why? Why did you do that? <laughs> uh, OEM force you to use certain labs but we can we can that might be a different conversation uh, <laughs> of course, that's a, no problem. So, <laughs> um so we saw this crankshaft and it failed and you know crankshaft being a rotating piece of equipment um the first guess is it's failed in fatigue and you look at the failure and you're like hey yeah for sure it's fatigue but what was interesting is the initiation point looked from just looking at the part, it looked like it was on the surface, started at the surface, which would indicate to me, um, you know, we got a stress concentration at the surface and, you know, looking at lubrication and was our oil clean enough? Was there um, more contamination in there that's adding that stress concentration to that point? But when we did the lab analysis, what we saw that it was actually, you know, a millimeter or two just below the surface, which is where the a change in material, where it goes from a, a wear resistant material to a tough material that can handle handle a lot more so um the way crank shafts are, are manufactured and what was really interesting about that is that took it from being if it was on the surface it was not a warrantable failure and we would have had to pay the full price of it the lab analysis confirmed it was surface which means it was the manufacturing defect because how those two layers are, are bonded together there was a, a void within that space that created that stress concentration area, which didn't allow the crankshaft, which can typically go for a very long time. Um, like you said, billions and billions of cycles. You think of the RPMs of the engines and, you know, going through uh, 2000 RPM, uh, you know, it adds up pretty quick, right? You know, it's just that prime case of where failure analysis had a big impact on whether or not the customer spends money on the engine or, or the spends money on the engine. At the end of the day, you know, not necessarily a risk to our business. We don't expect to see more of these because the QA, QC on the manufacturer is actually pretty strong and not a failure we see often. So, you know, there's there's quite a few things to take out from that, but that understanding of how a failure happens is really key to understanding both the risk and and the fault of, of that failure. Yeah, so, I mean, the first step, the first step of, you know, looking at a fracture, is, number one is what was the failure mode? you know, is in this case is fatigue. And then the next natural step is going to be, well, where did that crack start from? Where did the fatigue crack initiate from? Um, and you guys see in the course that I tried very hard to constantly like push you and challenge you and that, you know, yes. I, I have some cases where it'd be at the surface and other cases it would start at subsurface. And I, I you know, you got teach you guys how to, how to identify that. If you, if you met, if you missed it mm -hmm. over time, you would recognize the significance of it. Because because where the crack starts from is is really is really important as well, right? So in this case, it started from a material flaw, and if 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 you didn't look at that crank surface and you just threw it out, you would mm -hmm. never have gotten to the root cause of it because you wouldn't have understand how it failed, and you wouldn't have understand you, you know you wouldn't have had the the right step to get to why it failed. If a crack mm -hmm. starts, you know, at a at a sharp corner, at a generous corner, uh, at a at a weld, at a material flaw. Um, in an area that you think should be highly loaded or an area that you don't think should be highly loaded at all, um, where the crack starts from is already a giving tons of information that's going to drive the, the ongoing conversation as to, you know, to how, how and why it failed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was really interesting going through that course because um, you said it a few times, that the best way to understand and read these failures and read these failure surfaces is by seeing lots and lots and lots of books. Because I still look through that book and I've circled the crack initiation point. And I'm like, still don't quite see how that's the crack initiation point. But as you get those more and more, um, you know, you start to recognize the features that uh, that indicate that. So they're not all clear cut either. And I think it's really important to understand your limitations. I can't fully or I have questions about where this crack actually started from, maybe let's get a second opinion and whether or not you have somebody trained in your organization or you call up Shane and you send them, you, you send them a piece of your, or you send them the shaft or whatever it might be, and he can help you determine and 
Yeah. So how, how I learned, you know, again, I, I'm, a, I'm a lab guy and how I learned um, <laughs> fractography and failure analysis was the apprenticing that, that when I, when I started, there was no good books. There's lots of good books on failure analysis, but there seems to be this, this massive gap at the beginning of how do I, how do I look at a fracture surface? Um, and so, and so, you know, I learned by apprenticing, but the problem with apprenticing would be like, we would get a crack in that might be fatigued one day. And next week we get a, a brittle fracture come in and, and you get, you learn from whatever you're given, where I think the best way to learn is where you're, you know, someone, someone just says, okay, here's what fatigue looks like. And then it's now your turn. You know, you look at these couple fatigue and then, and then, and then you get harder and harder and harder. So you actually have a well-designed sequence. Um, and so this is the course, and this is the book that I wish I'd had when I was learning because it took me, you know, years to get organized in my, in my head, how to look at a fracture surface. But now, now I like to say that I, I like to think that, you know, it's organized well enough that uh, people within one day, when they go through how many, you know, whatever, 60, 70 examples, you know, between shared and, and in the work course book, they walk away with, I think, a better, I mean, I wish I, wish I had that because you guys probably, probably are much better than I was within maybe six months of experience. Um, and, and like I'll say too, I think that, that people will see more fractures in that one day than they might mm -hmm. see over how many years of their yes. career. I'm still looking for one, Shane. <laughs> Since that day, I'm still looking for a fracture to analyze. So <laughs> I loved I loved the workbook and the examples because that's it kept it kept me thinking. It kept me, you know, um, and I know that there was some some tricks in there, you know, because that's, <laughs> that's what happens in real life, you know. You're not given all of the fatigue examples, all of the you know brittle examples. It's next up. You don't know, and that's the the unexpected element that always happens in failure. We don't know how it failed. That's what we're gonna try and find out. And being able to identify that, and even for your your frontline staff, uh, when something fails, for them to be able to quickly identify and say, okay, well, we think this may be a brittle failure. Here's what we need to do going forward. Let's get it analyzed. Let's get it, you know. Uh, find out all of the different causes so that we can prevent this in the future because um, in your frontline staff with information like that it just it helps them so much more it's so much valuable to them that you know they feel like they can tell you from the minute they spot a crack the minute they spot a fracture yes that's what it is so now they're more aware and they're looking for those things so when they start seeing these things happening they're, you know, actually taking it in compared to if they didn't have the training on it and they're like, okay, well, it, it just broke. Yeah, that's it. It broke. Let's just replace it. That's it. The end. So they actually take some time to, you know, look into it and say, okay, well, this is brittle. This is fatigue. Let's see what we can do from here. So that's what I loved about the course. And I, I learned so much within that one day. <laughs> So people on site have a unique opportunity where I, yeah. I don't know about other sites, but I certainly <laughs> see it. We see a lot of failures within within a week, within a month, oh within gosh. within a year, and it goes back to the part where we have a issue where we throw things out. Um, <laughs> I once had a I once had a supervisor uh, that my dad was messy, uh, and I was like, it's "Not messy. Like these are these are these are the trophies. These are and I just had a failed part." <laughs> all covering my desk and I was like well you mm -hmm. see this one uh this was a mm -hmm. fatigue failure it was on, on a ball stud and like this is mm -hmm. this is another one uh, and just lots of different types of failures that were were just laid out and I was like this is this is so people when they come into my office they can they can learn and I, I wish I wish I had taken Shane's course when I had all those parts because I, I didn't take them with me um so that I could have labeled them all and like things on them and you know gave it a lot more detail so that when people come in they they learn about it but you know on site you have unique ability where you can learn very quickly a lot of the fractography principles because you have plethora of, of failures available to you um that's obviously different for industry like if you're in the airline industry and you have this I'm very concerned. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> let, let us know. We work. won't fly with you. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of other industries that have um, a lower tolerance to failure and, and what, whatever else. And, and so there's 
you're more of an opportunity to learn from it. And uh, I think Shane, your in-person course, you bring these failure pieces with you to learn from as well. But you know, I I do encourage people to save the failures, mark them up, understand what they are, and share that knowledge when you're on site. So if Sonia comes to your site, you know she's eager to learn about and see all the different yes. practices. <laughs> probably sit in your office for an hour just staring at all these pieces mm-hmm. as, as you go um i'm talking more to me <laughs> we, we we have a shaft graveyard we call it we just mm-hmm. have like the corner where we just have tons and tons and tons of uh, uh of shaft failures um and if, and if i can pick on that because you know like fatigue is you know the number one cause of, of shaft failures in our experience i mean there there, there are others um but i think a lot of people aren't, aren't even aware that uh, you know, fatigue, fatigue, if it failed by fatigue, but you can still get so much more from that, from that fracture, right? Where does a crack start from? Does it start all the way around the shaft? Does it start at the keyway? Does it start on one side and grow across? Um, is that a 45 degree angle? Is it, is it, is it, you know, is it, at a, uh, is it, is it perpendicular to the shaft? These are details that actually can help, help direct people towards the root cause of what causes it to fail. Um, and I, I think that, you know, what I find interesting is that, uh, rotating engineers may go 30 years through their career and never, never learn how to uh, get as much information as possible from that failed shaft as possible. And that's why, that's why we just provide a little bit, you know, we actually have like, I actually think this course is perfect for rotating engineers because you've got shaft failures in there and you've got, and you've got bolt failures in there. And th- those alone are, are probably, you know, a large majority of the things that, that people have. But a, a shaft never fails, sorry, a shaft rarely fails because there's a problem with the shaft. It usually fails because you've introduced loading to it that it was never meant to have. And then problems with your shaft may contribute as well. Like was the corners as generous as they should have been and such and such. Um, but for rotating engineers, when they have to go back and investigate what caused that shaft, they're often doing it without the extra information that could be obtained from, from that shaft. There, there's ways to look at a, a fatigue fracture and come back and say, hey, it, it failed because a stationary component was causing bending loading on the shaft as it rotated, or it failed because so, as it rotated around each time, one on one side, one side experienced extra loading, and therefore I have a problem included in the rotating assembly. I've already eliminated half the possibilities of what that source can be, and therefore my investigation is already going to be much more directed and targeted as to what that source of loading was. And therefore, if I ever come back and say, hey, the rotating engineer says, hey, there's two possibilities of what could it cause this problem. You can you can maybe maybe increase your confidence as to which of the two it could be. But yeah. I again I I think that getting people with these skills, with these skills, um, you know, who deal in the in the field, who deal with these failures and increase their knowledge and awareness is only going to help people when they're trying to understand how and why something failed. Yeah, I I totally get it. Obviously, I run a, a podcast that's focused around education, so you can never much of, much of that. Um, but I think this topic is the whole important. Like um, in maintenance and reliability, and focus on like the big, uh, certainly in reliability, we focus on the RCM, the uh, the bigger projects, and we don't the statement or the review of what those initiatives and those programs come come back into the RCA and failure analysis is that continuous improvement. It's okay. We did our RCM. Now we saw this failure mode. Okay. We thought we were controlling for failure mode. Why, why is it not being controlled? And you need to understand it failed to understand why it wasn't controlled. Maybe you something, but until you have that, there's, there's way too many trees and potential causes go down. Like a, failure for instance is it misalignment is it is it uh, um i don't know it's funny there's so many different causes yet i can't can't think of off the top of my head um but there's there's a lot of different ways a shaft can fail and there's a lot of different controls for that shaft and if you don't understand it you're like i said rolling the dice on which one you're controlling and you may get it right you may get lucky um but the chances you're not going to get it right uh, and it's certainly not if it ends up falling into one of the other categories and assumed it was fatigue, it was fracture or or overload or, or something else, right? So so let's talk now about the shear and ductile overload. 
Yeah. So, I mean, because, because I mean, the whole point of this is that we have to determine how it failed to direct the conversation, right? So we've just talked about fatigue. Fatigue is cyclic loading, you know, if there's a stress concentrator or not exceeding the fatigue limit. So, so if you diagnose something as ductile overload, it's failed for something completely different. So ductile overload is, I mean, any, any metal has a limit of how much of how much load it can sustain, right? And this is like the yield strength, your your ultimate tensile strength. When you exceed your ultimate tensile strength, your your metal will rip apart. And we do this as a quality check for, for metal is we you know put metal in a tensile tester, we purposely rip it apart, we measure how much load causes it to rip it apart, and therefore we check is it as strong as possible? Let's use it. But if you can diagnose something as ductile overload, and you can do this reasonably well by visual examination. When you when you visually examine, you're looking for deformation. By the deformation, I mean like it's a fancy term that it stretch, twist, uh, buckle, neck, um, anything that caused permanent shape change. Does it have a dull and fibrous fracture surface? And oftentimes it forms shear lips. Ductile failures often don't have clearly defined initiation sites as fatigue and brittle do. So if we can diagnose it with a bit of training, it now means that ductile overload occurred because the loading that it experienced had exceeded its its steel strength okay um, and and those are the questions that we need to ask fatigue you might be interested depending the rate of cyclic loading you might be interested in in the history that happens before it so if it's a building structure or something like that you're now interested how how has it experienced cyclic loading over the past you know months or years leading up to it but if something fails uh if you diagnose something as ductile overload you're now saying what happened it's usually a single loading event so you're saying what happened that day or that hour or that minute at the time of failure so a 10 year old part you're less concerned about the entire life of it you're now asking the question why did this part fail now it must have experienced a higher loading than it ever has experienced before what was that loading and then the second part of that question is well if the loading was greater than the material strength what was the material strength was it was it as it should be um is there any checks that we could do to make sure the material was proper quality or not? Because um, if it wasn't, that might now be relevant to what, what's my risk uh, of other parts that we have bought at the same time. And I think that, that that will, again, create a very different series of questions, you know, to further investigate than, than if the how had been fatigued um, originally. Yeah, and I think that's, that's important, knowing that Knowing the type of failure is very important because that helps you to, to branch off in the right direction. So let's imagine you thought that a failure was fatigue and it was in fact brittle. So you have a total different line of questioning. You know, you're gonna go down the wrong Completely. road. You're, you're gonna waste a lot of resources, a lot of time. You're not gonna get the right root cause. And then you're gonna have the failure happen again. And your management is like, wait, what happened here? What did we get wrong? You know, we just didn't diagnose it properly from the beginning, from the get-go. So I think it's totally very critical that we know the type of fracture, the type of failure that we're dealing with before we go further. Because we, we can have guys like on site and they're like, I think that's brittle. I think that's fatigue, but we have no sort of clear cuts, you know, this is, this is exactly. And that's why we need to actually test the components, send them to Shane, let Shane figure it out. Cause we know he has the experience on the back end to tell us, okay, it was fatigue. This is how it would have happened. Your next line of questioning, that's what you need to investigate because we don't want the failure to happen again. We don't want uh, the downtime, definitely not. We don't want the risk on human human lives if you know that that part is involved. So diagnosing any type of failure is absolutely critical. And and I mean that's uh, if there's if there's one motive I have for being here today, it's it's to say like yeah, we need to figure out the how. And you know the three categories of 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 how we can figure out the how uh, <laughs> is number one is we could guess. And I think that that's the problem is that there's a lot of people that are, are mm -hmm. a lot of investigations that are guessing. So some, some company cultures will have it, you know, intuitively that they need to understand. But if people are guessing, that is high risk. You will not always guess right. Number two is you can send out to a lab. A lab like us will use, you know, every, every known piece of tool and equipment and microscope to analyze a part uh, by people who, you know, who, who do this for a living. 
Um, and that, that, is my, that is my number one uh, recommendation. You will get the most amount of information from it. Um, but 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 there there's a third, and that is that there's a lot of there's a lot of times where your companies decide that it's it's not you know it's not a big enough problem, or or just some cor corporate cultures just don't have the the trust with labs. So so the third option is that people learn themselves how to how to do the basics, and I think that that last part is actually incredibly important uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one is there's going to be times when again they might not have the resources for whatever reason. So they should at least have the basics to look at a broken part and get some of the more common failure modes. And, and those are the mechanical failures. Those are your fatigue, ductile, brittle. Um, number two is they're going to start recognizing how much, like what, what can be learned from it. And that's just going to convince people of the value of the how. Um, and I mean, there's, I think the more frontline workers who are triaging the problem, who know how the equipment work, who are the first on site, who are picking through it, I, I think that they should have that basics. But I also think management uh, higher up who are making decisions and empowering people what they can and cannot do have to also see the value. So there's that there's that whole chain as well. Um, and 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 third, I, I think there's going to be times where people are going to look at parts and say, you know, there's some failures that aren't as complicated, and we spend a lot of time about bolts. But you can get so much information from bolts. There'll be times where you'll recognize that you can actually get a lot of information that isn't that you don't have to. You might not have to send to a lab. And other times where you'll say, hey, I. I, I, I've triaged and I think that this is a little bit different than what we normally see. We should investigate this. Um, so, so again, there's a, you, you could guess, you can send to a lab, but I, I, I still think we need to have people who are out there um, leading investigations, who are out there touching the components, have to have the basics to be able to understand, ah, like at least the basics of recognizing how things fail. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said we that communicate the value of it. A failure analysis is anywhere between like five and ten thousand dollars. Even for some of the largest components, like it's still yep. ten thousand dollars. It's not it's not a big investment. And if we can't communicate the value that that ten thousand dollars brings, then that's a problem on the liability engineers that they don't understand the scope of the issue properly. Because any chronic failure, like 10,000 hours, but it's usually paid back in certainly a, a few, maybe a day or two um, of downtime. Or, you know, what do the parts actually cost? For a lot of these failures, parts are worth more than $10,000. Like, um, most people don't even worry about a $10,000 part that failed unless it has a big production impact, right? So, we take the value of doing this failure analysis and say, look, if we do this, we are going to be able to prevent these failures in the future. And, you know, I always get the question of, well, what percentage are you going to be able to solve? Maybe 100. But it's going to be, it's probably zero if we don't do it, right? Like, it's, yeah. you know, it's, <laughs> IT will solve every single failure every time. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll, we'll save, we'll save at least one. And if we see it again, we'll continue to learn from that failure. And that $10,000 is going to be $10,000 well spent. Because what just happened either won't happen as frequently or won't happen at all again. And it's we need to do better at communicating that um, mm -hmm. as the on-site people. Yeah, I, I think any 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 RCA that's going to take a lot of time and energy, and you're going to implement solutions, there has to be at least some concept of of how did you of, of how the of how the part felt. There's got to be that has to be on on the list. I mean. Um, the three of us were chatting uh, before the podcast about, you know, simple tools like the five whys and how, and how I think that the five whys is, is meant to create a conversation mm -hmm. that, you know, smart people in the room, it, it creates a guideline. But if, if people, if people, if the first question is, why did the part break? And the, the, fir the fir they, they won't get to the right answer because the, the first question has to be, how did the part break? Yes. You know, if, if it fell by fatigue. The next question is going to be, okay, well, why did the part fail by fatigue? And then you're going to be like, ah, it's because the loading was too high. Maybe there was a stress concentrator and, and that the loading plus stress concentrator exceeded the fatigue limit of the, of the part. Um, and now you're going to start being, okay, so what was the second loading? We're going to look at the part again. Hey, is there a stress concentrator at that initiation site? Um, and maybe we'll just do a quick check on the material to make sure that it is what it's supposed to be. 
Um, but if it, I mean, we should get to brittle at some point, but if it's brittle, you're going to be asking a whole lot of different questions. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's going to lead your conversation the other way. So I, I think, you know, and again, I know, I know that the five whys aren't very popular, <laughs> but if the five whys, it should be not five whys, it should be how and why. It should be, mm -hmm. how did the part fail? Okay, it failed by this. Next question is, well, why did the part fail by that mechanism, by that, by that failure mode? And already your conversation is going to be more streamlined towards what truly causes it to fail uh, versus, versus just, just assuming that the part failed by fatigue or, or something of the sort. It's going to, it's going to, you're going to base a lot of work on assumptions. And then your, your RCA and your solutions are going to be based upon assumptions at the worst yeah. spot. And that's at the mm -hmm. beginning. <laughs> Absolutely. Now let's get into brittle fracture because I definitely want to make sure we cover that one uh, before we run out of time. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. Shane, why don't you tell us the, the how, what it looks like, how it can be caused and, and anything else about brittle fracture? <laughs> so I would say, first of all, brittle fracture is probably the most misdiagnosed. The amount of times that we've walked into a conversation, people are like fatigue, fatigue, fatigue. And we look at it like, no, it's brittle. And, and, and that is caused by completely different things that, you know, it's a really good example. Um, and, and, and I think we're going to publish about this, uh, an example of literally a valve that they thought had failed by fatigue. And they thought that the problem had been from the, from going on for a very long time versus fatigue. It just failed on a single day at a single moment. Um, and the, the causes that are very different. So brittle fracture. The reason why I think it's it's often mistaken as fatigue is that it doesn't have deformation either. So fatigue, which usually occurs at cyclic loading below the yield strength, doesn't create deformation. If you you shouldn't, but if you were to put the parts close together, you, it would have more or less the same uh, the same shape. Brittle is the same. There's no deformation to it, and a lot it gets mistaken that way. Brittle, however, visually looks different when you look directly onto the surface. It tends to be sparkly and shiny. It has an initiation area and radiates from it. And it tends to be rougher uh, than, than a high cycle fatigue crack. Brittle fracture can occur from two main families. Uh, sorry, I should say brittle fracture of a ductile steel. If the steel is a brittle steel, like a tool steel, that's just expected. But most of the steels that we use and design from are meant to be ductile, right? We want it to absorb energy if something were to go wrong. Um, so if it fails in a brittle manner, it's an undesired uh, failure mode. Family number one, we could have embrittled the steel. There's something in its original manufacturer or in service that permanently makes the steel brittle. And that's going to be very much a metallurgical investigation to try to understand that. Scenario number two, which is more common, um, is that we have created the conditions that a steel that's ductile has become brittle. Now, we, we, we've, we've had to come up with our own terms of, what, of, what, of, of how to work this works because when we really dove into it, it seems like there's no umbrella terms to describe what causes steel to transition to becoming brittle. And we call it incidental. The most well-known of this is temperature. We know that we can stake a ductile steel and it gets colder and colder and colder and colder. It'll behave in a more brittle manner. But as, as it warms back up, it goes back to its original, its original ductility. It's not, a, it's not a permanent transition. It's just, it's to the circumstance. So therefore, if it fails on a, on a cold, cold day, the circumstances made it, made it uh, you know, made it susceptible to brittle fracture. The other two uh, include the rate of loading. How quickly you apply loading to it. Do you slowly apply load to it or do you shock it? Do you hammer it? Do you impact it? Is it violent? Um, if a steel can hold, say, 10,000 pounds, it's possible on a cold day that we could, we could shock load it with 5,000 pounds and cause it to fail in a brittle manner. The third variable is... is um, is stress concentration. Does a crack start at a sharp feature, sharp corner, sharp flaw? So if a if a if a corner is sharp or or generous, um, it'll affect if that same steel, whether we just machine different geometries into it, its propensity to being to, to having brittle fracture. So to summarize, if you diagnose something, uh, if you visually look at it and say, hey, I suspect that it's brittle fracture, and you might have to do some additional work to confirm that. Um, you're going to start now saying, if my steel is ductile, I need to start investigating three things. I need to start, four things actually. I need to investigate what was the temperature, what happened at that incident at that time of loading. Again, I'm not, I'm not worried about the 10 years of service beforehand. I'm asking what happened in the few minutes or the hour of the day that, that, it, that it was found to have fractured. Is there anything sharp that's not supposed to be sharp at the initiation site? 
which again, I like to emphasize means you actually have to look at the broken part to make sure that you include that in there. And the last, of course, is that, you know, is the steel as tough as it should be? Is the steel properties what it what it's supposed to be? Um, yeah. And and that is a very different investigation. Like your 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 ongoing RCA is going to be incredibly different than if it were ductile overload and if it were fatigue or fatigue failure. And that's why it's important to identify the type of failure properly because you don't want to go down the, a wrong rabbit hole and you know you're you're just all over the place and you're like, okay, we didn't get it this time. What do we do now? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's why it's also important too. Like if you know, I, I go back and forth on this myself. But when's the proper time to do the failure analysis? Like, is it good to get the RCA group together uh, before you guess, uh, before you get that failure analysis uh, or and understand that failure? Because you know, you might lead you down some very wrong path. On the other hand, you know, and and I think it really depends on if it's um, a chronic issue or not. So if we're, we're dealing with a chronic issue, getting that RCA before your failure analysis, that's that's going to be okay because you, you're going to hopefully understand a little bit about your failure already. But if it's a one-off issue and like uh, a big failure, going into that RCA session before you really understand how something failed, you know, you probably go down or you potentially will go down the wrong path and spend a lot of time in the wrong area. When if you assume something is here in ductile out overload um, and it's brittle, like the thought and the root causes of that are so different that, you know, if it's a major impact here, you're going to go back and start from scratch anyways. And so like, you're, you're better off investing your time right at the beginning to collecting all the information you can before you actually bring on room to discuss it. So uh, about the timeline and things like that before is, is important. The overall like big RCA session, I think you is ideal if you wait full information and full story. And I'll let Bob, Bob will you with me what the best one is. And I honestly won't, won't argue back if he's going to know. So he'll probably listen to this and might have some opinions for me. And that's, I'm, I welcome them, Bob. <laughs> but but on, on the other side, if you if your team, well, at least you know one or two members of your team have some of the you know the skills, you're gonna you're gonna yeah, I mean if you guys recall the golden rule of, of of this is always examine the failed part. You know you're gonna have the failure. You're gonna be able to look at it, and you're probably if it's fatigue, you're gonna be able to recognize that it's fatigue. And if it's if it's brittle and if it's ductile. You're going to already have that. So when you have your first meeting, if you have a few guys trained up, you're going to already be asking the right questions. And then, you know, the more information will become available if you do decide to do a failure analysis. But I, I think it's very reasonable that people can learn quickly to say, hey, I, it looks like it's fatigue. And they still might have some questions about the initiation, like if there's some unrecognizable features there that might warrant other stuff. They should be able to have a good inclining if it's, if it's not fatigue, if it's brittle. And again, you probably want to do a little bit extra work, or if it's ductile, you're already going to have a much better conversation in there um, if you if you have those skills available. And again, I I I I've got to say, make sure you actually examine the part itself. Don't be taking pictures and everyone's huddling around the pictures. Walk in the room with the part and actually examine the part. Um, even with the greatest of pictures, you guys saw in my in the course with the greatest of pictures there still are discussions about what's that shadow. And like, yes. that, that's a shadow. That's yes. not a feature. Do mm -hmm. not do fractography mm -hmm. from a picture. Um, and then the last thing I want to say is, you know, going back, going back, and this is going back to the fatigue part, is that with a bit of experience, people can get extra information. Like if you have, say, a bolt failure, hey, I've identified it as being fatigue, you can quickly learn additional things such as that bolt failure. Did it fail because it wasn't properly preloaded? And that, that you know, now that it's not tightly installed, is now experiencing uh, cyclic loading where it wouldn't have otherwise, or is it failing? Is it experiencing cyclic loading because because the loading on it was excessive, that um, something is going wrong that's applying extra loading onto that bolt. So if again you guys have a bit of training, they're going to walk into that that RCA conversation about hey I have a failed bolt, we've looked at it, we know it failed by fatigue, and the questions are hey we we can recognize it wasn't installed tightly enough or didn't maintain its preload enough. 
And therefore the question is what happened during that installation process? Or B, the loading on this bolt was excessive. You know, we might want to assess, make sure that the bolt's as strong as it should be. But if it is as strong as it should be, what applied more, what applied in service and operation more loading on that bolt? Uh, and already, already your conversation, your RCA is going to be much more targeted um, than if it had been, hey, the bolt failed. Why do we think the bolt failed? Okay, oh, yeah, so I, I'm hoping that if anything, like people start recognizing that having a little bit of triage skills mm -hmm. is going to really help. Um, and then that triage skills is also going to include, is, is it severe enough? Do we want to send to a laboratory to get more? And, and some, sometimes that'll be needed. Uh, I, I strongly recommend that. But there's going to be the odd time, like the bolt scenario, that I think you can walk away with a course with enough information to be like, hey, in some cases, we don't need that. We can tell based upon the fracture features, the size of the final failure zone, that this bolt wasn't installed tightly. And that's our primary cause. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's yeah. the way that the course is structured, it's designed. And with, the, with all of the examples that you, you let us keep going back and forth, all of the students, you know, you're designed to start not just to be able to, to look at something, but be able to have the thought process going. And I think that's one of the, the major takeaways for me, you know, you see this type, okay, this is what you're looking for. These are your follow-up questions, you know, for each of the different types of failures. And that I think is one of the most valuable pieces of information because when we go out in the field, we want to be able to ask those questions. We want to have that thought process because it makes it clearer to what we need to, to find out, what we're trying to get, get at the end too, you know? So that, that helps a lot. <laughs> You know, Sonia, I think like when we talk about these courses, everyone's really excited about learning how to how to diagnose, like how to how to identify the failure mode. That's like why most yeah. people come. Mm -hmm. But I yeah, think I think <laughs> I think what's equally as important, but I it's it's you know it's, it's less sexy, it's less attractive. Is once you diagnose that failure mode, you need to know that failure mode well enough to know, hey, what are my next series of questions? Mm -hmm. And so I've, I you know I I I I talk about you should come take it so you can diagnose the failure mode. But I think you need to have the one too. And I think without the second one, you're going to be like, oh, it failed by brittle fracture. The end. Cricket. Yeah. Cricket. Cricket. So, so what does that mean? Like, how do we prevent that? Like, how do we understand yes. why it failed and how do we prevent that? And so, and so again, I, I sneak that in on you guys. Here I am telling you guys, you're going to, you're going to learn about how to diagnose, mm -hmm. but really I, 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 you know, it's gotta be the one too. And, and I think you've nailed that perfectly. Mm -hmm. The thought process. That's, that's, um, extremely valuable you can't get that you know you can't get that just by if you just if you're just able to identify the fracture that's good that's fine but knowing what to do afterwards that's the part that that's the reason we have that we're starting to investigate the fracture in the first place we want to know how to prevent we want to know how it happened so that we don't have that in the future so oh, i loved that part of it <laughs> so so what did you guys think about the box system like right, we're like I, I love you know, the box for free each each mechanism. Okay, you know we verbally describe it. You know, cyclic mm -hmm. loading happens because the loading, the, the repetitive loading is higher than the the, mm -hmm. the the fatigue limit. But then, but then, if you list these these criteria, these three these three items, and discuss each one of them, cyclic loading, stress concentration, and then part strength, that's just going to be the framework for your ongoing conversation, and that's going to bring you to the you know, then they'll bring you to like the why. Does it's that like, work for you guys? It's like you did a mini RCA inside of an RCA. You the know, beginning of an RCA. Yes, yes. The hypotheses, you have all the different hypotheses. Yeah, so this is what you're looking for. So that kind of, it's streamlined for me. Okay, so we identify the type. This is what we need to go forward with. This is what we need to examine. So you just, you streamline the RCA a little bit more. So I loved the box. And now I think in boxes, so that's totally fine for me. Good. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Um, so we are about out of time and it is disappointing because there's so much <laughs> still to discuss on this topic. So I'm sure we'll have both uh, Shane and Sonia back as um, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody there. They're fantastic <laughs> guests. Uh, but before we close out, I want to give you guys the opportunity to let us know, you know, what you have upcoming. Shane, obviously, when your next course is and how they can sign up for that and, uh, and anything else like that. So I'll start with you, Shane. Uh, what do you have coming up here in the future? In the yep. course? So, so the next, the next uh, online course is, um, is October 22nd. 
Um, I mean, I, I, I think that I think that for anyone interested in understanding how and why it failed, uh, it's it's to my knowledge the only course that that teaches the, both those things. Um, we also have a hands-on course, so our, our our flagship courses where we actually drop on the table uh, dozens and dozens of broken parts, and people learn on that. Um, obviously, it's a little harder. Uh, it's been hard during COVID to hold that, um, but I don't think there's any better way to learn than actually looking on the broken parts. Um, yeah, I, I just strongly encourage people to to consider when they're doing RCAs, uh, you know, asking themselves or asking their team, how do we know it failed in that way? Like we have to identify how it failed to make sure the remainder of our questions that we ask are are really on the right path, uh, and that we we come up with the the reason why, and therefore we come up with the the great solution that's effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll make sure I post the link to your your next training course there and your website, as well as uh, your link to your book uh, in the podcast comments. Um, and how about you, Sonia? What do you have upcoming? I know you've got a few things. So. I always, you know, oh, Stephen, you know, I always have stuff going on. <laughs> I, one of the things, um, and I'm actually seeing notes from the publisher come in while we're having this podcast, is that Bob and I wrote a book together. It's um, getting into the root cause of lubrication degradation mechanisms. Why not, you know, have him in on that? So, Hopefully we're getting that book. It's in the process of, you know, going through the publisher back and forth. So hopefully that comes out before the end of the year. But what I'm really excited about is that we have LRVS Lubrication and Reliability Virtual Summit in September. And I know that you are both gonna be there. Stephen, you have a great topic on sustainability. I can't wait to hear more about it. And I know Shane is going to surprise us with his topic and I'm looking <laughs> for that. But one of the are we still missing his abstract? Don't we? We'll we'll leave that undisclosed for now. But I know Shane is going to be a speaker, and I'm just you know I'm in. I know he's yep. going to be a speaker. He's going to get that done. But one of the good things that I want to you know, you know, as we're talking here, we're going to have the conference is actually going to be opened a week in advance, and during that week in advance, we're going to have something called video rooms where people can come in and talk to different speakers and have different things going on. And I know I'm going to get Shane and Bob in a room together along with Steven. So that's going to be, <laughs> if I am, I am booking myself for that particular video room because I, I know that's going to be a great conversation. So I'm, I'm excited about that one. That's, that's exactly what I'm waiting for. Thank you, Shane and Sonia. Really enjoyed this topic and uh, we're going to get into it again soon. And, and I'm really excited for that. So thank you. No Thanks for having us. <laughs>